Hello and welcome to today's Propcast on council housing. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and we'll be joined today by Pat Hayes, who's the boss of Be First, which is Barking and Dagenham Council's in-house developer. Uh, and, and Pat was previously Regeneration Boss at Ealing and is now overseeing in East London uh, what must be one of the biggest council-driven house-building programmes anywhere in the country. Now, Pat, you've been uh, on the east side of London for three and a half years now as essentially the boss of the, the housing delivery business uh, that, that's part of Barkingham Dagenham Council. You were previously on the other side at, uh, in Ealing. Um, just, just to start, what, what side of London's best, east or west? Let's just say East, and actually, I've always lived in East, actually, so I'm probably unbiased, and I've lived in Waltham Forest for the last 500 years or something. So, um, but I think at the you moment, don't really have, you don't really have a Putney accent, it's fair no, to say. No, I, I don't. No, I'm actually from, not even from London <laughs> at all, but I'm like one of these urban foxes. I moved from the country at a very, very young age and uh, become entirely urbanised. But um, yeah, so you know, I think, and East is where the opportunity is, to be honest, because you've got you've got land, um, you've got that mix of commercial. Um, you know, a lot of space to develop residential as well. West is interesting, but you know, I think the future of West is probably much more tricky now with the decline in air travel and everything else. It's reliance on Heathrow, and it was very, very overheated and very difficult for the public sector to do anything because of the lack of space and pressure on land. So I think East is clearly where the opportunity is now. Well, unless, unless we expand Stansted, close down Heathrow, uh, that won't please some of my previous employers, but no, you'd have no. a lot of a lot of brownfield land in Hounslow to build houses on if you did that. You, you could do, yeah. yeah. But I think a lot of <laughs> people, unhappy people out in Essex living around Stansted, but uh, the Uttlesford District Council will uh, lose their mind, I should think, over that prospect. That has been mooted in the past, and uh, Stansted clearly has got a lot of capacity. But you know, we've got our own airport in East London, though, in terms of London city which is you know not everybody's a favorite but yeah. it's very Ma- useful many know? people listen to this are massive fans of, of london city and i think anyone that's ever used it is, is is yeah is a big fan of london city but look let's talk about barking and dagenham so so you're essentially the the, the council-owned developer um forgive my turn of phrase if that's not legally totally the, the the technical correct way to describe but that's basically what you're, you're building houses on land owned by the council using money that essentially you source yourselves um and, and you're doing quite a different uh, array of different stuff aren't you you've got you've got some big high dense schemes some single family housing uh and you've even got beds and sheds where, where should we start should we let's start with the beds and sheds because that that's that's very uh it's very now isn't it we're seeing a logistics revolution even british land looking to get into sheds um so tell us a bit about that how are you proposing to make people live above warehouses with dirty great big hgvs piping in and out yeah well it's a big big challenge for us is that we've got a you know obviously the whole south of the borough is former industrial land mainly now poor quality 1950s 60s asbestos roof sheds um but interspersed with quite a lot of residential the challenge for us is that we don't want to see that whole area go and become just residential and it's not in that position anyway um it's really important for london's economy it's really important for our borough economy um but we do want to deliver change and we want to make places like barking riverside attractive for you know for their owners to sell and people to go and go and live there um so we're in thames road and river road we're looking at really realigning the industrial space um bringing in new high quality industrial space on the river road end which is the western end um, which is close to the river roading um, we're doing an interesting scheme with the GLA there for stacked industrial, which everyone says 
it's difficult to make work, but we're making it work with them. So stacked industrial, just describe what you mean there. That's effectively where you've got, rather than your normal conventional 1960s, 70s single-storey shed, you've got a double layer um, with a, a ramp taking vehicles up to the, to the second second level. So with our industrial project, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's industrial on two levels. The great thing about that is you make much better use of the land footprint um, which gives you space then to relocate more uses into a, in a more intensely occupied industrial site and free up other space for you know either public realm or, or housing. So we're you know, so would you put would you put resi on top of it or no, just that's, simply that's pure two on that scheme? And th- this is the okay. really important thing about what we're doing, and it's about a really it's an integrated strategy where taking part of the area and saying, look, this is going to stay industrial for the foreseeable future. So let's concentrate the industrial uses there yeah in- no that makes sense i mean are you, are you at odds with the gla there because again no, one of the things that, working that, that, with them actually because they're the part funding this particular project where their concern is and there's an interesting policy compilation for them is that the thames road area um is a housing zone so the gla have given us money to to buy land for housing but it's also currently in planning terms designated as strategic industrial land so the two of us are having to work quite closely to um uh, resolve that sort of you know policy um dilemma and the way but isn't we're that, i mean it, isn't that part part of the the, the poor policy making we've had in this country is that no, we, we block out perfect. these districts and, and we don't actually look at a blended approach that, that would make a lot more I sense in some it was perfectly reasonable when this was designated as strategic industrial land it was an industrial area what has happened of course is yeah. you had the 1970s and 80s deindustrialization of britain um and this generally started to fall into decline and with it closure of large trucks the ford plant things like that supply chains vanished um so this i think is now saying that we don't want to see the whole of london turned into residential and that's not right london needs employment it also needs a lot of things that you know service a world city you know whether that's waste management everything else logistics is clearly really important some covid has shown that you know almost we had too much just in time and not enough storage space and distribution space and handling space so this i think yeah. is about a mature reinvention of these places as somewhere where yeah, you're not going to turn it entirely into residential you need to keep some areas which are entirely you know and predominantly industrial and quite hard in nature but there's also the scope as we're doing in terms of road as you move away from that harder industrial and you say beds over sheds it's not you know it's his beds over like like commercial craft creative um space um mm. to develop that type of you know somewhere which is an interesting place to live but also you know is providing a home for employment uses it'll sit there next to other lighter commercial uses then, you know we've got food manufacturing you know um not much you know very quiet you know um quite again it's the, the more the smaller end of the of the food sector and then you go into your distribution sheds and then into your other sort of mm. harder so harder a kind of grading a grade grading of, of, of which is very of, much uh, what you get uses. in a traditional british town actually in london sort of lost that you know and london used to have that you know that um if you look at the evolution of lots of parts of inner east london you would in the past have had you know your weavers next to your quite high-end residential you know yeah. and this and this is almost getting back to that mm. with a you know, again, with the opportunities we've seen, or with homework and everything else, I think we are moving to a more, you know, smaller scale 
office and commercial market where it's much more akin to home you know people are working far more from home and in smaller shared spaces rather than this sort of fordist approach everyone works in a big mm. factory or else in a big office factory in w1 or somewhere, yeah you know. yeah so what i mean in terms of the the, the 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 stock that you're building how much of a focus do you have to have on on pure affordable housing everything um, we are uh, doing is you know within the definition of affordable housing um where does that even sit now? I mean, I think, you know... I, I, well, I, I, our range our range really is from com- a comparison with a council rent. So, uh, you know, the LAHA figure, so eventually benefit would cover it at the bottom, up to about 80, 80% of market rent, plus shared ownership units as well. It's arguable... So that's that local market, not London market. Local market, yeah. You see, so, so 80% of local market is probably realistically market because we are the only main provider of really good quality purpose-built rental accommodation. There is a lot of rental accommodation, but none of it's purpose-built, a lot of it's council right to buy. So, you know, um, and which is the challenge for us, and which is why we've set up in, in part, is to, you know, how can we deliver housing that people want to a good quality at the price they can afford you know and that's what we're doing you know 500 odd units a year 3,000 units by the end of next year <laughs> no and in fair play to you you know you're doing some great stuff and, and i i grew up uh, around ilford so although i've spent the last 30 odd years losing the accent um that that was where i come from so I, some of these places where you've got projects coming out of the ground like chadwell heath are places that i remember uh bundling around in playing cricket a long time ago so let, let's talk about that i mean you're looking at different sorts of product aren't you and and one area that you seem to be quite uh quite favorable towards is, is mmc modern methods of construction off-site uh, where, where do you sort of stand there pat because i mean you've always been pretty uh pretty outspoken on 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 being quite progressive yeah i mean i think um, that the the big thing for me is that mmc i think is the future you know and it's absolutely standard in most other European countries. In in the UK, if you look at it, we're still basically building in the way that we built 100 years ago. I mean, the machines are more modern, but the techniques used are pretty much the same. It's blokes laying bricks on top of bricks with, and then putting plasterboard on them, you know, or whatever. And yeah, we're using diesel cranes and all that, you know, vehicles and things like that. But, you know, it's, you know, in my mind, this is not the way to produce you know, good quality housing at speed and, and at, at reasonable price. You know, there are reasons why that has arisen, you know, and partly because, you know, we've got a, a market which is dominated by a relatively small number of contractors operating on very low margins. So the standard model is to you know, squeeze the supply chain and squeeze their subcontractors, which again is done by, you know, you know, that this the traditional method it works in, in that way in the traditional method once you've gone over to mmc and stuff is being produced in a factory you know then your price is much more fixed it's much harder to squeeze your supplier the spec is much more mm. fixed in terms of your client so us as a client you know we re, you know we think that mmc is the way forward and what can we do to help promote that industry in its fledgling form and the problem at the moment is it's been it's you know to a degree so a lot of people in it who are great on the technical side, but not great on the business side. So you've got a lot of business failure. Mm-hmm. The main contractors are very slow to embrace MMC for the reasons I've just described. Um, and we say that, aren't we, with, with the, all this debate around the future home standards, mm-hmm. uh, and that, that's obviously come out recently, um, and the government put out a consultation about a year ago, didn't they, but saying essentially giving us a choice on um, reducing carbon emissions in housing, saying that you could go for a 20% reduction uh, in 2025 or a 31% reduction. And of course, the volume house builders have lobbied for the, 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 the weaker standard, even though 
um, we're actually delivering zero carbon homes right now. Places like Greenwich, South East London, um, they're using companies like Ilka Homes to, to deliver these schemes. Um, do, do you have a view there? I mean, we don't need to get drawn into politics. We can talk about policy. Should we be going right now, Pat, for tighter standards on 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 energy? Yeah, in, I mean, I think we should, and we're, and we're trying to. And the, the balance is, I mean, it's squaring the, you know, it's it's encouraging MMC and bringing MMC forward, driving down carbon costs and improving energy cost in use at the same time as maintaining affordability for the end user so you know that and this is that you know this is why we've created our own design team effectively so that you know now we're you know, becoming a much more informed client in terms of being able to manage contractors and architects and and press on all those those areas of the continuum effectively so that we're mm. pressing very hard in terms of you know we want a much higher green standard we want a higher quality and better place for somebody to live in but we also want the price right down by getting the design as efficient as we possibly can you know embarking down we've got an energy own council an energy company as well so we're looking at private wire on the Padnell lake scheme which you alluded to where we're doing you know essentially that's a scheme which has been envisaged from conception upwards this is going to be done by mmc it's going to be designed for mmc and and um and again to a very very high environmental standard but that's also going to have a private wire um energy network effectively so that's so it's all built in so we're trying to square every side of the circle effectively there but it's a, it's a big yeah, challenge yeah. And there's a big pressure between you know um quality um and price and you know environmental efficiency and they, they are difficult and it's a real it's a real challenge i think it's going to be a challenge for a lot of you know a lot of developers which is why the house yeah. builders have sort of they're trying to back off from it and, and where do you sit i mean obviously the other challenge that, that you have right now along with everybody else is safety and there have been some uh incidents in barking over the last couple of years some unfortunate fires um uh, and and obviously as you mentioned a lot of the housing stock you have across the the district is is pretty out of date uh not fit for purpose for a lot of it but even new stock as we've seen through all of the cladding saga which is continuing to roll even new stuff is seems to be seems to have its share of problems what's your view there how are you again uh, as a client that's going to be a lot more in the public eye with a lot more scrutiny around you how are you ensuring that that some of these vagaries on building regs are being ironed out and you know, what's your view yeah, I, mean, I think we've t always taken the view that regardless of where the building regs were we were going to have our own standard in terms of materials height at which certain materials were used you know we've you know, taken for the time being, you know, a decision not to use CLT. You know, there are lots of reasons that pushed us away from cladding. We're tending, you know, most of what we do is, you know, brick built, um, partly because it looks nicer, wears better, you know, weathers better. Um, but obviously also, you know, it's, uh, Mm. proven material in terms of in terms of safety and long-term maintenance i mean there is a real issue with fire safety at the moment is that you know it's it's a big cost pressure by certificating which weren't previously certificated for the right standard etc etc um and it's given an opportunity for quite a few people you know if you've got a certified product you're in a really good place and you can charge a premium price for it and everything else so it has exposed some you know Real deficiencies in the regulatory process and now in the inspection process actually that the building research establishment is clearly way under resourced for the materials it needs to be checking and there's a knock so you think the regulator should be clamping down on people that are jacking up prices well, I mean, yes yeah, it's, it's probably that you need more capacity on the testing and um 
certifying sites so that you know more I mean there have been I mean been reports haven't they recently uh, the last couple of weeks about uh, failings within HBC and the, some of their testing and, and question marks around that I think the, the opportunity now is to really revitalize council building control um, and see that's the gold standard and use that far more I mean you alluded to the fire in embarking on the Barking Riverside scheme which is a bellway block you know and that was nhbc inspected you know and uh, probably complied with the rules or did comply with the rules at the time but you know, again you think well that you can see why that had certain weaknesses in it and the system probably wasn't robust enough and we need- but i guess i guess the problem i mean uh, there's some of the things that have come out of the grandfold inquiry relate to the uh, nhbc and and their their uh, essentially their stamp of approval they've given particular brand they've given to particular brands of cladding we don't need to go into that now but i'm, I'm interested in your views as someone that, that has spent their life you know, developing all sorts of buildings in you know largely working in the public sector it, it is the system of building control the privatized system of building control that we have in this country is it fit for purpose oh, well, i've never thought it has been you know it was it's a very strange thing to privatizing the way it was privatized which was a very blunt privatization in terms of you open the market up to competition you leave the local authority actually very limited powers but some limited statutory powers and you enable developers to use whoever they whoever they want you know and it's the one area you wouldn't liberalize actually i mean you know that's my view has always been you could possibly liberalize around planning and have more code-based planning system things like that but you wouldn't liberalize on on building control but you've got to have that uh you know, resource and the abilities of local authorities to adequately resource and uh, charge for uh, that inspection function. You know, and you need and you need a degree of neutrality mm. on it. I think you know, I think planning is much more. You know, you can argue lots of planning is much more subjective. Appearance is much more subjective, but safety is you know, fairly fairly important and fairly definitive in terms of what's safe and what's not safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a code-based system that you refer to that that essentially means having a lot more focus on building regs and, and letting the planning be a little bit more liberal. Yeah, I mean, is... I've always quite liked the, the Dutch system, which effectively is you, that you, 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 know, you use height and massing requirements, and then you have, you know, the building regs regulate the, the, the quality and the appearance of, of schemes. And it gives you the, you know, and you see this in Belgium a lot, you know, sort of more, you know, architect design individual houses. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a, you know, it's, it's worth looking at always in terms of how can we improve our current system. Whereas our current system is, it mm. doesn't look at a lot of the important things, like how is something built, how safe is it, how strong is it, you know, um, but is quite prescriptive in terms of you know, appearance. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's some good points there. So, I mean, look, let, let's let's talk about funding because I mean, um, obviously, everything you're doing. Uh, well, you, you don't have a fixed model, do you? Let, let's sort of explain the model first for anyone who doesn't know. So everything you do, you retain an interest in the land, you fund it largely through Public Works Loan Board or, or through other partners. Is that, is that a broad summary? Yeah, I mean, essentially, we're, you know, our, sort of the Barking and Dagnum model is that we're the development manager for the council. We're also the planning side and transport and building control, indeed, um, plus some other things. And are the regeneration agency but our primary model is that yeah you know we're building housing on or industrial units in some cases on land that the council has bought and the council to date has used public works loan board because it's available the process is easy and the rates are you know pretty pretty much competitive you know but however you know if that rate moves the other way or if the private sector lending rate um, improves you know, not enough to improve a huge amount um then we'd set up that we would borrow from, you know, the institutional investments, you know, and pension funds and uh, 
did sovereign wealth funds and people like that, or banks even potentially. I mean, can't say they ever being particularly advantageous in rate terms, but that's you know we would do that. Um, and we always look at it in terms of balancing our risk and exposure on public works loan board borrowing. Mm. No, that, that that's a fair point. So, I mean, wrapping up then, what 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 should we be expecting to see from you over the next year or two? And and what what do you think other councils could learn from what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the main thing I've always said this is that you know this is about councils actually being confident, saying look, you know, and, and for for us the market. The market has failed. Um, the house builder model doesn't work in our borough because the value hasn't been there. Um, demand and perception have also been issues. So that, you know, this is a council that's actually saying, look, you know, we have to do something to improve the place. So, and the things that we're therefore doing are that we're building a lot more housing of good quality that will attract people in, but also will house the community that's already there in a better form than they're housed at the moment. Um, we're also, you know, again, which other councils aren't necessarily doing, you know, the fact that we're taking forward industrial development, we're saying, look, you know, the industrial stock isn't sufficient, it isn't good enough quality. So, you know, we're not going to change at all, but at least we can act as a catalyst in certain places for a revitalization of the industrial stock. Where we can, we can use our money and our planning powers to, to bring that forward better and quicker. In other areas, we'll just use our strategic influence, whether that's Dagenham Dock, where, we, you know, we really want to ease that towards being, you know, a, a rail port, you know, logistics hub based around the food industry and around uh, uh, energy and everything else in the automotive industry. So, you know, so that we're using uh, at film studios, again, you know, marvellous political ambition to say, look, we want this industry here, so, you know, to replace what the industry had before. And there again, we've used our land assembly powers, you know, but done a very commercial deal, you know, so that, you know, we've got the double win there of that we've got a you know, major player in the, in the film industry developing, you know, buying the land which we've assembled and got planning for. So we've used our enabling powers, um, buying that site to put a studio on it. So the council's made a you know, financial return on the transaction, but it's got a studio. So that's exactly what we, what we should be doing. So I think our message to other local authorities is, you know, if the market's not failing in your area, you probably don't need to do anything and you shouldn't think, oh, I have to do this because, you know, other people are doing it. But, you know, this is about a, an entrepreneurial form of municipalism, like the municipalism of the 1930s, saying that where the market doesn't work, the public sector has to step in. You don't have to do it all, but you have to act as a catalyst mm. in the right place and push and pull in the right place. And to do that, you need to use mm. all the powers that you've got you can't just do it all through planning yeah and 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 um and, and what what then does the future look like for east london um obviously you've got film studios that you're that you're welcoming in lots of uh you know obviously a fair amount of housing but some would say the housing you're building isn't going to be affordable to people currently living there how would well, you respond it, it to is, that basically. i mean the we're repro every social housing as it's called i mean it's a horrible term um unit that we're knocking down we are replacing with like for like um and we're adding and we are only doing affordable housing actually the interesting thing about our model is that we can make this work commercially but it's all at sub-market price you know and in a, a lower value area of london to be honest so that you know 80 percent of our market price is is very affordable and you'll look at all our you know again i've always thought it doesn't actually matter about you know percentage of market price and things like that. it's actually what you know what can someone doing a real job afford in, in rent terms you know and look at our posters on the various sites you know this is housing which tube drivers nurses teachers um you know cleaners all those people can actually afford you know so this and 
yeah, there's a continuum from our cheapest to our most expensive, but it's always all within that range that's affordable on ordinary Londoners' salaries, and it's very much pitched to ordinary Londoners, you know, and uh, you know, big demand for it, and it, you know, there will be, um, you know, no doubt price inflation as well as there is wage inflation, but, you know, we will always endeavour to be providing a product that is, you know, for the for the working Londoner, and I think there's a big, you know, commercially that makes sense. It's been one of the tricks that the house building industry has missed in the in the UK because they've sort of rushed to the higher end all the time. Hmm. No, interesting. That's a very good point. Well, always a pleasure to speak to you, Pat. Fantastic to, to see you back on the on the best side of London, and uh, yeah, best of luck with, with everything, and and I hope you'll come back and, and give us a bit of an update. Uh, in the new year um once you know once you've got netflix in yeah town. yeah excellent absolutely <laughs> thanks a lot that's brilliant so that's the end of this week's propcast thank you very much for listening you can subscribe by searching propcast on apple spotify or any of the other platforms where you can find uh podcasts and, and if you'd like to get in touch with us just drop an email to andrew at blackstock.co.uk if you've got any suggestions for future issues guests or subject matters or, or any other things that, that you'd like us to feature on these sessions um, and and hopefully yes uh, we'll have some more prop tech for you over the next couple of weeks and, and some other surprises as well so thanks very much for listening uh, stay tuned and we'll hope to see you soon